0: Welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, hey, hey. What's up, everybody? Knock on podcast one ninety six. We are halfway through hunting season two thousand eighteen. I would guess somewhere in there. My body is run down, ragged, uh, but I'm. I can I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Whitetail rut is coming up really quick. I've got one more uh, elk hunt. I'm gonna do. Uh, with my buddy Joe and I've got some deer hunts immediately following that so sorry I've been a little bit off the grid but as I've told you guys in the past for me it's still all about just enjoying uh, being a bow hunter you know, I'm. I do this because I love it, and I really, really want to keep it that way. So, um, I try not to make it all about business during the hunting season, and I'm going to do my best to just sh- kind of share with you guys along the way and and bring you information as I can. But um, I'm also not going to jeopardize a morning hunt by staying up later doing a podcast so apologize about that um it's kind of a cool time of the year because one there's tons of good hunting stories and things like that Two, um it's also the time of year where new product is starting to circle about um i know you know we're not too far off here from the launch of the new Hoyt product, which I'll be excited to be able to uh, talk to you about. And also we've got, you know, the main part of whitetail season coming up. And then in addition to that, you know, we're not more than really a month off or so from me getting involved with getting my indoor bows going again. So there's quite a bit of stuff here. Uh, happening during these months and it makes it a fun time of year it's especially if you're an overall archer not necessarily just a hunter or just a target person Um, there's kind of a big melt over with everything during this time of the year so at some point uh, I do want to be able to have a podcast with uh barklow again and maybe with andy it'd probably be good if the two of us were together to do a podcast so we could talk a little bit about our montana trip uh with all of us together and you know luckily i was able to sit down and have a little bit of a podcast uh with joe about our hunt that we did together um in utah which was really cool um but then there's there's several more. I had some of my good buddies uh, with me in Oklahoma. And uh, the Hackett brothers who you've seen in the past uh, had some success, as did my, my cousin John. Uh, we were all kind of sharing a camp in Oklahoma together. And they were able to get their first whitetails for the year, which was pretty cool. Um, I actually did a hunt with Sharon in... Um, we kind of did a little bit of a, I don't know, I call it a turbo tour. We hit several Western States, uh, in a matter of, I think, seven full days and was able to, uh, get two good whitetails and also some awesome antelope as well. Um, there's a couple new videos out on the Knock on Archery YouTube channel, so make sure you've Check those out, and uh, be sure to spread the word. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm having trouble right now linking uh, my social media accounts, and honestly, I just haven't been home long enough to to seek help to get that fixed. But, uh, yeah, my f- Knock on TV Facebook page is really being neglected right now. All the Facebook pages are, to be honest, um, just because... It's not linking directly with my Instagram, so um, I guess that's for me to deal with. And if you're a Facebook only follower, then you're kind of missing out on a lot of things right now. So be sure, you know, be sure to get Instagram. It's where I'm at the most, and make sure you turn on the notifications at least for the Knock On TV uh, posts, and that way you can stay up to date. I am enjoying some coffee, so there's going to be some sporadic breaks. Um, Today's podcast, one of the things I wanted to talk about was a few of the posts. I guess that's one of the things, and then a few things. So either way, a few of the things I want to talk about today is a few of the posts that I've made um, as we get closer towards indoor season and things like that my mind starts to shift a lot more towards technique um, as well as the fact that during hunting season the deeper we go into hunting season the easier it is for you to neglect practicing and neglect shooting because I know a lot of your time is just literally grabbing your bow if you have an extra minute and getting out into the timber Uh, but you also have to be cautious about doing that because you start to neglect small little details that make your shooting uh as good as it can be and so this time of year especially once i start to come in from my western camps i do start to try to spend more time shooting on the days where i'm not hunting like for example uh it's early in the morning right now it's uh you know, 445 in the morning. Um, so after this podcast, I'll go out and I'm going to shoot some arrows and shoot some arrows at some different distances, not necessarily for getting tons of repetition in, but just really making sure, um, I'm paying attention to some of the small details, checking my pins at those distances, etc. cetera. Um, I've also changed over, Uh, right now to full metal jackets for you know I call it my short to mid-range hunts Um, you know when I go out west and I'm going to deal with more wind and might want a little bit more speed for example if you did watch the latest video that I did on with my antelope um, you'll notice which most of you have noticed it wasn't uh it wasn't a really close shot. I'll leave it at that. Um, so, yeah, knowing your equipment, getting out, making sure um, you're testing those things. And when it comes to arrows, that was the exact situation of why I liked that arrow for those circumstances out there in that really open country where I'm hunting speed goats and they're moving fast and it's during the rut and they're following does. Um You know sometimes I'm ranging and at you know I'm ranging them as they're kind of moving and then you know they might take an extra step or two uh, to stop and you know it's nice to have that little bit extra speed at those longer distances Um, and literally the arrow combination that I had for that hunt worked flawlessly Um, if you look back on that YouTube channel You'll notice that that arrow, uh, it appears that it hits a little bit left of where you would want it to. And it is slightly left. It's actually the impact was just in front of uh, the shoulder. But uh, what's more important about that is the back end of the arrow, the lighted knock, was actually further left of the point because of that crosswind. Um you know, the back of the arrow did lay over just a little bit, but because I had that extra weight in the front of that axis with that brass insert, the point was able to track a lot better, so I didn't have, I had less overall drift um, from the actual impact area from the point itself. So, Uh, it was a perfect example of why that worked. Now I'm, because I'm going to short to mid range distances for whitetails, um, I am going to the full metal jacket and those are two arrows that I've shot constantly over the years, uh, which is why we have them both. Um, luckily we did, uh, get a second shipment in, so we do have, um, arrows available online right now so you know keep that in mind and the other thing too is if you're someone who because you know because you shoot a lot of short to mid-range stuff or if you're a shorter draw length and you like more speed and maybe you don't want to fully weigh down a full metal jacket you know we do have um the aluminum hits available as well if you did want to have more speed and you didn't want to slow it down by having that heavier brass insert in the front, um, you do have options, but I do like to have, um, that little bit heavier arrow in the timber. Um, you know, I've liked it. I've liked that heavier arrow, uh, for white tails, just because at least in my type of hunting situations, I'm, um, Able to range a lot of times, that you know, the, unless it's right slap dab in the middle of the rut where everything's kind of running and gunning, which is going to happen. But normally, in those situations, I'm way, uh, I guess, I'm way different in like my shot mentality. Um, I'm very selective and picky on like my shots, and that my shots are going to be close, um, but I do like to have that extra weight um, because whitetails do react and you know what I found is when animals are reacting and their scapula is moving and their shoulder blades moving and you hit that I like to have that extra weight to just drive it home through that last year's uh, buck that I shot here was a perfect example came in hot on a doe literally came in the doe stopped at the base of my tree was getting a little bit nervous. I know she could smell where I um, went up my tree and my bike was sitting right there. She was kind of looking around. The buck was only at about 10 yards in front of me, also looking around, trying to figure out what what was getting her nervous. And he was slightly quartering to me uh, really close. And I was able just to to put that arrow tight on the shoulder um, and just blast it through there, Um, which is one of the advantages to you know having that heavier arrow and and also shooting a little bit more poundage um that's not for everybody i know shot angles are a constant debate um continually i guess if there's ever argument to my shot placement sometimes on social media a lot of times it's people that um teach you know hunting classes um teach hunter safety classes and yeah i agree um you know, it's a tough thing because I can't totally only make, I guess I could, but I'm not going to only make shots that are shots that we teach to, to bow hunter one Oh one. Um, for example, even my wife, uh, Sharon or Harry, you know, if they make a shot, it's, it's, preferably quartering away and it's 25 yards or less, no exception. Sharon could have shot a great buck uh, two weeks ago in Oklahoma, but it was at 30 yards. And we're not making a 30-yard shot just based on her poundage and speed. Um, But, you know, when you have more skill level and more understanding of shot angle, and then more importantly, more understanding of what your – Setup does um, or can do, then those things start to change a little bit, and that's what happens with me. Is you know, um, I did take a frontal shot on my bull um, in Montana. I shot him uh, frontal quartering hard to me, um, went about forty yards and dead. Literally cut his heart in two. Um, then the bull that I shot in Utah, which that film should be coming out pretty soon. Um, I actually shot um, I charged up on him raking a bush shot him at um, about 28 yards and shot him straight through uh, the golden triangle, literally pinned both his front shoulders together. Uh, The knock was hanging out the one side, but he was literally kind of peg laying off because he was literally stuck together. Um, and then, you know, if I have follow-up shots, I always take follow-up shots. I think it's a very smart practice. So I, uh, immediately loaded another arrow, drew back, uh, shot a follow-up arrow and literally had a full pass through, uh, both of my holes are about two and a half inches apart, uh, with the exact same height. The first shot was at 28, the second shot was at 50, um, and the bull that bull only probably went about you know I don't know I guess he went maybe about 70 yards if I think back from impact. Um, he went he went uh, you know a little more than 20 yards uh, after the first shot, and then once the second shot hit him, it kind of kicked in his adrenaline, and he and he really. Took off, um, but he was done fast. So, you know, in those situations, um, understanding shot angle is critical. So, some of my shots I know can be uh, argumentative, but I also know what my equipment's capable of. And just like what I was talking about with that whitetail having that quarter and two shot, um, I was confident. By having a heavier arrow, and that's why I'm switching over to the full metal jackets. The other thing I like about the full metal jackets too is just the fact that they they pull really easy. They pull easier than an all carbon shaft uh, if you're practicing, which I'm I'm doing quite a bit of shooting right now during whitetail season. At least right now, I call this the October lull. Um, I'm doing a lot to to practice and try to hone in some of my skills that I've got rusty on during all these backcountry hunts where I'm not able to shoot as much. I'm kind of starting to prep and starting to pave the way a little bit for, um, getting ready for indoor season and starting to do, you know, get some of my target stuff going. And, um, so this time of year, I am shooting, and also the targets are getting colder. You know, when, you, when you're when you shooting foam targets and they get cold, it's much harder to pull out a carbon arrow. Um, the FMJs are really nice uh, for pulling out. So uh, keep that in mind. And I think an FMJ is a really good um, overall 3D arrow as well. If people are shooting indoor leagues, um, you know, they are – they are going to be a little bit more durable, um, so you know. I guess all that's relative, but that's really what I'm doing right now in regards to kind of how I'm planning my schedule, how I'm mapping things out. One thing I do want to tell everybody is uh, there will be several podcasts this week. Um, I'm home of I'm home with a few days here. So I'm trying to uh, catch up on a few things. One of the things is whitetail gear. So I did go on my first hunt with um, my new whitetail gear. As many of you know who listen all the time, I have changed over to Sika um, and absolutely could not be happier. Um, I can say that. I know people out there um, look at the price tag and. You know, I've had a few people get, um, negative that I'm promoting something that's, you know, much more expensive, but, you know, like many things, it's not always the case, but like many things, you get what you pay for. And I really feel like a hundred percent get what you pay for. Sharon's always struggled being cold. Um, even during times of year where it's not technically frigid and she has just, um, seen a massive difference in her ability to tolerate different weather conditions uh, since she changed over to sick as well for my whitetail hunts um, not the two out west the two out west were both off the ground one um, one was uh, a kind of a last minute desperation move where we actually did uh, a little bit of a push of a few miles of the river bottom and ended up having a cool buck come by me. Um, shot him with that new Rage Extreme. And it was a devastating, devastating blood trail. That video as well as on U- on the YouTube channel. And it is awesome. If you're considering um, a broadhead or, more importantly, the Rage Extreme for... Um, personally, I feel like it's something that I would trust for medium to small, smaller game. Uh, just based off the fact it is a lot of cutting surface. So you're going to have massive cuts. Um, A couple of my buddies have shot whitetails with it. The Hacketts, uh, Justin shot one with a recurve um, and absolutely uh, destroyed a whitetail in Oklahoma with it. Um, But just keep in mind, it's more cutting surface area. So if you are a lower pounded shooter or if you have a really light arrow, Um, you know, keep all that in mind when you're choosing a broadhead, if you're shooting lower poundage or if you're shooting, um, you know, a lighter arrow that maybe isn't getting that much speed, you may be better off with a tripan or even a plus P, you know, something that's going to give you that penetration you're looking for. Um, but yeah, I'm going to have Chris who is, kind of the John Barklow, so to speak, of the whitetail line at SICA. He's going to be coming on today. Uh, I'm scheduled to podcast with him and we're going to go over whitetail so that you understand um, what the different names and what the different applications of the whitetail stuff is. Um, I did the ESW for my first hunt, which stands for early season whitetail. Um, It's a good product in regards to its breathability and it's lightweight and it's really functional when it comes to, you know, those first several weeks in the tree stand when, you know, you're, you're trying to, to be out there, uh, during, you know, the heat of the day. Um, you know, you're out there in that evening, it's hot and you're waiting for, waiting for that sun to go down and some of those the last minute movements. A lot of times you're not getting a lot of movement uh, during the early season, so it's minimal movement. And if you're like me, you're also doing a lot of prep during the day. So, you know, you might be active during the day trying to tweak stands and do some scouting and things like that. So uh, it was a really good system for that. And there are different systems um, I'm doing my best to learn them. I feel like throughout this uh, throughout the big game uh, season, I was able to to really get my finger on how the different layering systems work and and then also give some input to those guys on things that I feel like um, should maybe slightly be tweaked. I know there's been some people asking me questions about, you know, which backpack they should use, etc. And those questions will be asked or asked and answered by Chris today. So hang tight for that. Um, but one of the subjects going back to the beginning of the podcast that I wanted to jump into was on my social media uh, yesterday, I believe. I posted a picture of me in Full Draw and said, Today's lesson is is release hand position. Not everyone's release hand position will be the same. I coach people to follow the shape of their face, which for some people could be more vertical than on others. Mine is slightly in between because of the shape of my jaw and minimizes my string torch, torque, uh, which boosts accuracy. And um, if you're looking at the photo, you can clearly see that the angle of my hand mirrors the shape of my face. Um, But important factors to understand with this is that your loop length can affect your accuracy. Um, And I'm going to expand on that. Um, Your loop length as well as your string tension, both. And um, I'm going to pause that right now just to explain that. So string tension is uh, with your bowstring, when it's at rest. Oh, I'm supposed to wake up. Um, when your bowstring's at rest, um, you have the most amount of tension on your bowstring that a compound bow will apply. As you draw that back uh, and get to full draw, the string is actually pretty loose. You can bend it, you can move it. Uh, that's why a lot of people derail their bows at full draw because it's easy to torque the system so the things that affect that string tension is the higher the poundage you shoot the more string tension you're you're naturally going to have both at rest and at full draw the other thing is um, the amount that you back your limbs out will also reduce string tension so Uh, If you think of it, if you have your kid's bow or say you buy a bow for your wife or even yourself and it's maxes out at 70 pounds and then you back those limbs way down so that you can pull it at say the minimal poundage that the limbs can get. What you'll find is the string is very bendable. It's pliable Um, and it, and it, magnifies greatly the lower and poundage you shoot. So you look at a kid's bow where you back their limbs out five, six, seven turns, you can grab that string and it almost bends like a wet noodle. So um, going back to this, um, the length of your D loop as well as your string tension um, can greatly affect your accuracy depending on your hand angle and that is because The more vertical your hand, the more you're naturally going to twist that string. So if you have a shorter loop and you're shooting minimal string tension because either you've backed your limbs way out or you're um, shooting lower poundage to begin with, then you're going to be able to turn that string more uh, at full draw and it's going to affect the accuracy um, because it starts to put pressure on the side of the knock. Um, So, your hand position greatly affects that. Um, So, um, I also then go on to say that uh, flatter hand positions um, and broader string angles um, can help you get away with either shorter loops or shooting lower string tension. But either way, um, regardless of the angle of your hand at full draw, the key is repeatability. If you're not repeating your angle of your hand the same every time, um, then it is gonna affect your groups. Um, One thing you can try is, I tell people here in this post, to go out during practice and slightly change your hand angle from set to set while you're practicing, so for one set, turn your hand a little bit more vertical, then turn it maybe a little more horizontal and see how your groups change if one is giving you better groupings than the other then obviously that's something that you're going to want to pay attention to at full draw is coming to full draw and saying okay i know i'm most accurate when i'm a little flatter and if you know that but all of a sudden you get to full draw and you recognize the fact now your pinky is up on the top of your cheek then you know you've inverted your hand and you're going to start to lose accuracy so uh i'm gonna Expand a little bit and answer a few questions from within this post um, and dive just a little bit deeper into this subject. Uh, the first one here is from Tugboat Express it says, Dud, I've found that I have slight torque no matter how I hold my thumb release. Um, I've seen people make torqueless D loops. Do you have any recommendations? So, a torqueless D loop. Is a D loop that people make to where it actually goes underneath the arrow lock knock, and instead of the D loop running vertically like it does, on, you know, on most bows you see, the loop actually goes up underneath the knock, and it it's made out of string material with some wraps so that you don't wear through it with your release. But it actually the loop itself is horizontal so uh as you invert your release you actually don't have near the torque the thing you have to watch out for with those uh is they will change how your anchor feels um, and it's going to change your peep height Um, some people shot those years ago because it did allow them to get a little bit longer distances because their peep was uh, a little bit higher overall as it set up uh in the string um I'm not a big fan of them uh personally uh but you know I guess if you're worried about that and if you're someone that does have very low strength tension or really really inverts their hand then maybe it's something to consider but I really feel like you could just uh lengthen your d loop slightly and uh you're going to be able to get away with that. The other thing is some releases are much worse than others. Um, You know, and, and another thing too is the length of the head of your release. So when you look at a handheld release, the length of the head and the distance from the jaw to where the fingers are sitting, like the front edge of your fingers to where the strings actually coming up off the jaw... The longer that position is, the more difficult it starts to become um, in regards to having less facial pressure on the string and also, in my opinion, less overall torque in your anchoring because what happens is when the head of the release is longer and it puts the string much further in front of the knuckles then in order for that string to sit on the face properly the hand starts to come further back on the jaw and sometimes i see people start to put their their row of knuckles behind their jawline and you're going to then if you do that start to bring the arrow tighter to the face and you're going to start to apply more facial pressure on the arrow itself the other thing is the longer that head is, again, um, in order for your length to fit properly and you not feel overextended, what you're going to end up having to do is you're going to have to shoot a shorter D loop to make up for having the longer head. So that's why with the it and the Silverback and the Too Smooth, I've really focused on keeping the jaw and where the loop is in the jaw as close to the front of the knuckles as possible so that you're able to shoot a slightly longer D loop and keep the string in um, a very safe place of the face Um, but then just utilize the loop length which you know if you shoot a loop that's three quarters of an inch to an inch long you know you're gonna be able to have some variance in your twist and your release angle and still stay accurate so keep that in mind depending on the top type of release you have you may or may not have that issue Um, and then the other thing is really focus on getting that index finger under that jawline people that let the index finger start to come up on the side of the jawline or people that let the the middle finger come down to that jawline Uh, both of those things there start to change um, the way that arrow sits on the face and the way the arrow uh, has clearance coming off the face. And it's going to greatly change accuracy. Understanding your anchor and having comfort in your anchor position is something that definitely takes some time. Um, I remember when I first started, uh, I shot a release... Uh, a long time ago, um, the first handheld release I shot was um, actually one of the very, very first, well, I shouldn't say it's the first one I shot. Um, it's not the first one I shot, but um, I shot a one of the very first prototypes of a Chappie Boss, um, which was a True Ball release. And one of the things looking back I realized is that my arrow was always sitting much lower on my jaw and I feel like I was really affecting my accuracy back in my younger years because I had my hand further back and a little bit lower on my face and the arrow rode a little bit lower on my face uh, because that the head was much longer back then than they are now. Um, so that's where I ended up having it because it was comfortable as it sat but you have to be mindful of that um it took me quite a while to get comfortable and this was especially true once I switched to um the hinge release when I switched to the hinge release to help my target panic um I really had to spend several months getting used to the fact that my anchor position was much higher on my jaw than it had previously been. And it definitely took some time to get used to that. But, you know, um, using like that, you know, the reason that knock on release trainer, uh, the right release trainer that we have is so cool is because you can kind of get used to that. If you set the overall length of that release trainer to the same length as your bow, you can get used to just where your hand is sitting on your face and you just focus on the hand to the face placement more so than having to worry about your string angle. See, what happens is when people have a peep in their string, they're just so used to pulling back and they're they're used to that motion of seeing that peep sight come back to their eye. And as that peep sight's coming back to their eye, they just settle into their old anchor position. Whereas if you focus on coming back, finding your anchor first, then just adjusting your head so that you can imagine the tip of your nose touching a bowstring, then that motion there is, is much more similar to what I would teach you. Um, I've been watching a few people's uh, Instagram, people buying silverbacks and shooting silverbacks. And one of the things I really want to dive into with coaching this winter, once we start shooting inside, is draw cycle and the efficiency of coming to the anchor position and getting into the peep sight. There's a lot of people I've been watching right now that are wasting a lot of energy and effort. Um, by drawing really low and bringing the release really up and then tipping the head really down to come down. When the key is to just have a vertical posture, straight good posture, uh, just simply turn your head towards the target and draw that release hand at the same level as where you're going to have it on your face, but you're essentially drawing it along the side of the face the bow stops and then you bring it over to the face instead of under the face you come over to the face and when you do that it that motion is actually moving your elbow back further the tip of the elbow it starts to come over and it loads more onto the rhomboid muscles and essentially helps you with what I've referred to in the past as a pre loading motion. Um, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make sure to dive into that and, and get into that a little bit more. Um, the next thing here is, uh, let's see, Kurt, I think it's Kurt, me, Gary, or maybe it's me, Gary. But either way, Uh, Kurt just made a comment on here. shot my first animal with a silverback today um, with my 8-year-old son in tow. What an awesome moment. Truly awesome. Um, There's been a lot of people. Shane Dorian kicked off this season uh, shooting his big bull elk. Uh, Actually, well, he kicked off the fall season shooting a huge bull elk um, with... His silverback, he sent me a picture and was so freaking jacked because he struggled with target panic only a year ago, and we've been working through that. Um, So he was super happy, um, and he's continued to roll on with it. Uh, Rogan shot his bull in Utah with a silverback. Then I'm trying to think. I saw several people. John Barklow shot his with a silverback. Um, the amount of people that have told me, listen, I struggled with buck fever, struggled with target panic, um, and yeah, there's hiccups. I mean, listen, people, this is a huge hurdle it, to overcome target panic and make a good quality shot pulling through with the silverback on uh, in a target situation or in a hunting situation but if you do i can tell you that is jedi level so if you're showing me pictures shooting stuff with a silverback i mean i am a hundred percent elated and you are a poster child for knock on uh and everything i stand behind as well as your poster child for the knock on nation so hats off to you dude and anyone else who's uh overcome that boundary this year Uh, let's see the next one here is from I guess Nepka spot I'm going to say with some positions and anchors um, this is referring to the post I just read you guys Um, with some positions and anchors will the arrow not exactly sit in the saddle when I anchor with an index under my jawline my arrow sits lower on my face does the face shape also dictate arrow position and clearance? So the string angle and the loop length and the head length, those all affect of where you're sitting on your jaw. So essentially the closer forward you are on your jaw, you know, your jaw slopes down. So the closer forward you are um, the lower that hand is naturally going to be on the face, the further back you are, the higher it's going to be on your face. Also how, um, flat your hand position is. If you start to curl your hand, then a lot of people, you know, are going to try to dig further back on the jaw. If you keep your hand flat, you know, and then also keeping your fingers tight, if you spread your fingers too far apart, um, you know, it can start to feel a lot different too. So, You know, putting your hand in the release, keeping your fingers tight, keeping your hand flat, Um, and then again, really focusing on that elbow has to come up just a little bit more than what I see a lot of shooters shoot. Index fingers underneath that jawline. Essentially, when your hand is flat and you're at full draw, the front edge of your knuckles are going to be just slightly forward of the rear portion of your eye socket. So if you're looking towards the top, the target, the back edge of your eye socket, um, you know, your knuckles are going to be just slightly ahead of that. Um, and yeah, there's certainly exceptions to the rule. Um, but all of those things do factor in slightly. And, you know, those are the things that make it hard to do, uh, you know, overall coaching through this type of Platform, I guess. Um, It's one of the reasons why, you know, when I'm able to just see someone face to face, it's, you know, or if I see people's photos and I say, yeah, when we see each other, I'll be able to to make a few tweaks really easy. These are the small things I can make when I'm face to face with you. That's kind of what sucks is I can't do that to everybody. So just keep those things in mind and play around a little bit with it. One of the things that helps people is when they. When their peep sight isn't necessarily in the string when they're trying to get comfortable with new loop lengths or new uh, anchor positions because For whatever reason people just fixate on the fact of well my you know They're looking at their peep so they're adjusting their anchor position order to make their peep feel right And you really don't want to do that you want your anchors anchor position to feel perfect have the tip of your nose on the string and then put the peep sight in to where it's in that position for me and most of the current bows um from the top of my arrow knock to the center of my peep is six inches it varies um up to about six and an eighth for some of my buddies but for the most part with my teaching uh it's really uh right there at that six inch mark Um, and it can vary depending on string angle obviously if you're shooting a Matthews triax that has a much shorter draw uh, axle axle length than my Hoyt's, uh, that's number is going to be higher, it's going to be higher in the string at rest because of how far it comes down once you draw back. Um, Next question here is from Richard. Diesel Roth, I believe, um, says I'm a broke carpenter. <laughs> LOL. I have a old Hoy 3070 and I'm not able to extend my left arm out all the way, uh, because it's maxed out on draw. And I feel like I'm developing some bad habits. Do you have any ideas to help me? Um, because I can't spend 1300 bucks on a new bow. I'm going to reread this. I already wrote a response to him, but two of the things that you can do a half inch longer string is going to give you about a half inch longer draw in that situation. You'd have to get one made. So look at what the, the string length is stock. You could long string it a little bit, or you could put slightly shorter cables on it. If you wanted, I wouldn't do both. I wouldn't put a long stringer and shorter cables, uh, just because it's going to end up being too much. Um, but Either of those two. the other thing is uh, removing your grip can also help help you get just a little bit more space uh, going to side plates. Um, so and that's a big reason why like on my RX ones I may even though my draw length is longer than what an RX1 gets as a max, um, I actually short cable mine a little bit so that I get it some extra poundage. And then I put the side plates on, and I'm able to uh, to achieve the draw length. And then, lastly, you can always lengthen your loop a little bit as well. So uh, keep that stuff in mind. Um, let's see. Uh, one other thing uh, someone's saying here is um, it's Cam Bysu. Um, can be Sue? I don't know. Uh, he's actually just given a tip to people here in regards to anchor position, saying a tip that uh, really helps him on his silverback is for his, um, after he lets off of his safety, for his thumb um, to come back and for his thumb to touch the tip of his, uh, his index finger and middle finger. And that is a very good technique. Some people, when they're shooting a the silverback for the first time, they just let off the safety and they have their thumb like straight down and a lot of times that changes the kind of your hand position Um, for some people too when you let straight down a lot of people relax that thumb and then start to relax their index finger and end up shooting their release through their bow uh, which you don't want to do Um, so yeah, letting off the safety, bringing your thumb around to that index or middle finger like fingernail is good. And then keeping that hand solid and rigid and pulling through like that helps you pull in a much more consistent motion on your jaw. And because you're not relaxing the hand out, uh, you will have, uh, a better, uh, position on the jaw as well um let's see here pistol pistol pd uh is saying uh i reached in my release pouch to find my knock to it and was unable to cock the cocking lever um i press it but the jaw won't click shuts any tips for a diy fix so yeah, this is the time of year, people, where, um, you know, listen, there's a lot of different things that can get sketchy with your equipment right now if you're in the grit and grime of a being a bow hunter and not providing maintenance. Um, you know, several of the hunts I was on, it we were just absolutely drenched every single day, drenched. Um, trudging through brush and willows and all that stuff. Uh, if your release pouch is open and you're getting all kinds of dust and grime and grit down in there, and then your release is in there and it's kind of rattling around and there's all that grit and grime getting into the jaw of the release and the rear cocking lever of the release, then yeah, you're talking about two very precise sears That are literally literally ledges that are clicked on top of one another finite ledges that fire without having any type of travel so keeping grit and grime out of your release or performing the maintenance that i do have a video on you can either go to the knock on archery store or and you know click on a knock to it or click on a silverback and there's a video posted on there about how to do your uh, maintenance, otherwise you can go to the Knock on Archery YouTube channel and there's a knock to it and back release maintenance video which is pretty much showing you how to do an easy process of taking not just a can of compressed air but an actual air hose which has a lot more pressure and putting it against the back of the trigger and cocking uh, mechanism and shooting a burst of air from the back of the release forward and then moving that nozzle um, and the rubber tip nozzle works best for trying to get a good seal putting it on then the front of the release on the jaw and again blow air through again so essentially you've pushed air from the back of the release forward then from the front of the release back then put one drop of um, tri-flow or rem oil on the back of the release and shoot that for uh, from the back, shoot that uh, f- from the back forward, um, which this is really important step for making sure you're um, reducing the amount of corrosion in your release. Uh, if you're in real wet situations and you've got corrosion building up and rust building up inside of that release because it hasn't been lubricated properly over the last few years or the Process of condensation continually, then you'll start to feel it get a little grindy, um, and that lubrication helps that. So anyway, you'll uh, pretty much repeat the same process. Only you've put one drop of oil on the back of the release, shot it forward, put it on one drop in the front of the release, shoot it backwards, and then go ahead and shoot air from the back forward and the front back one more time without any lubricant. And you're going to get all that debris out of there and prep the internal components uh, to prevent corrosion and and help lubrication um, as well. So, uh, those are some important processes. That's why, as well, I really like to keep my release pouch. Um, They've always been sealable release pouches, and you know, I have my release up on my bino system um, my sick bino system i have my release up there or i always have it in my top chest pocket because it's way less likely to get grit and grime in there um so keep that in mind and that'll help you out um let's see here uh da, da, da. there's uh bow hunter underscore cody was asking me that uh He liked the post, but uh, to expand on that, he wanted me to do a video just showing people how to tie D loops, whether you're right-handed or left-handed. Because, yeah, there is a difference. You naturally want your D loop to, to actually create the angle that's relative to you inverting your hand or turning your hand for anchoring. So if your bow is in a press... If you can imagine your bow in a press, or if you just low hold hold your bow and point it straight down, uh, the stabilizer and sight straight down to the ground. And if your bottom cam is on your right, this is for a right-handed shooter. If your bottom cam is on your right, top cam is on your left. In regards to how your D loop should be tied, above your knock, the D loop should be on your side of the string, and then as it goes over to the bottom side of the knock, it should be um, on the other side of the string. And so that's for right-handed shooter for a left-handed shooter. The opposite would be true above the knock. It would be on the opposite side of the string. Then below the knock, it would be on the closer side of the string. And what that does is, um, that D loop going from one side of the string over to the other side creates a natural turn because obviously it's not on the same side on both sides. So as it's going from left to right, essentially, there is a slight angle created on that D-loop already, um, which helps minimize torque. Um, Let's see here. Um, Okay, so Romanian uh, Thunder here is saying, I was wondering where you might have some information about a bow sling. I had a good one, but lost it today and plan on replacing it. Um, also, I'd like to know about a sight cover. I do a lot of hiking through very thick brush. And so I immediately replied, this year I utilized the Sika Sling. I really like it. Um, I've used it on ATV rides. I've used it just in travel. I actually put it on my bow when it's in the case, so nothing banging around in my bow case or if a broadhead comes out of my package and starts going around in my bow case, it's not gonna cut a string. Uh, but I really like the Sitka one and I like it because it has um, built in sleeves one that comes out and it goes over the sight, and it has a slight elastic cord that keeps it attached to the bow sling and it tucks in a little pocket and the other one there's actually two of them in there the other one is for pulling down and wrapping around your fletching so if you're traveling or if it's raining Uh, If you're in the middle of snow, you're able to actually maneuver with that. And then when it comes time, uh, you know, you got to get it off and get it in the field and be ready. So um, we're coming up to the hour mark here. So I'm actually going to shut this down. I've got more I wanted to talk about in regards to another post, um, but I can expand on that easily. um, Maybe tomorrow after the podcast I do with Chris here later today in regards to whitetail gear. Literally going to say Whitetail Gear, uh, Sica Whitetail Gear 101 will be coming up. So make sure you check that out. Um, I'm looking forward to getting some lessons as well in regards to how to utilize some of this stuff. I've got a few of the different systems of Fanatic and I think a Stratus. So I want to know what the differences is, the differences are in these systems other than the fact of what I feel on the material. Um, but yeah, we'll go from there. Appreciate the heck out of all you. Um, again, you know, this podcast is brought to you by you guys. So as long as, um, as long as I'm able to have your support and you guys are able to, uh, show support by, you know, getting knock on products through the store, then we're able to keep this thing going and thankful for it. So, Appreciate you, and uh, I know a lot of people are asking about releases. Sorry, it was a massive, uh, a massive order last time. We th- hoped it would last more than just a few weeks, but it didn't. Um, but there's, we literally have a continual order. I mean, it's just a repeating order. So until things slow down, so when they get in, we'll uh, we'll let you know. Make sure you sign up for anything that's out of stock. You got to go click on the item, click that little box, uh, the box that says notify me, enter in your email address, you hit return, you get put on a list, and um, you know, unfortunately if that product comes in and you get an email telling you it's in stock, if you have delayed getting to it and it's out of stock again when you go back, you do have to enter in your name again, your email again. Uh, because it's not a repeating list. If you don't order it, it's not going to track you that much. Um, might get a little creepy if it knew that much about you. Uh, so, yeah, if you miss out, you do need to enter it in again. So keep that in mind. Uh, but thank you again. Appreciate it. And uh, just really, really doing my best to keep track of all your posts. Um, thank you for tagging us in those. Really, really appreciate that. Doing my best to look through and man I want to high five and butt slaps to everybody who's out there uh, making good shots on animals and overcoming target panic and conquering the silverback and the too smooth. I'm going to Uh, I got Rogan on a 2 smooth right now, shooting a hinge release. Uh, My buddy Ryan Bronco is also switching over to a hinge release. Um, I'm going to be doing the same here for indoor season, getting on the 2 smooth. So there will be tutorials coming up on those as well. All right, everybody. I'll see you later on today. I believe Uh, all things going as planned with Chris. So we'll see you guys later. Knock on everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing, knockonarchery.com.